0: Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at apomada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much.
1: So today is the 2nd of April 2023. It's our um, third meeting of the uh, Precepts 23 group. Um, I need to catch a plane to Austin this afternoon. So if it's possible, I want to be able to leave a bit early. So we might finish up closer to 2 than to 2.30. That's if, And I hope that's OK with everybody. Um, Okay, so let me recap. Oh, and let me first also acknowledge, thank you to Nancy for being our online monitor. There's this this cadre of online monitors that's keeping us all connected, so important. Uh, That includes Nellie and who else is that's on the screen here, Uh, Claudine and uh, um, Rosemarie and others. That's very important work, thank you. So, uh, I sent out a prompt last week. I said I hope everybody has read Chapter Six of Diane Rosetto's book, um, the, "The Waking Up to What You Do," and um, she recasts the the precept that's is traditionally worded, not discussing the faults of others, that was taught to the Sangha by Gotama, the Buddha himself. Um, she has recast it as. I take up the way of speaking of others with openness and possibility. So just as the Buddha turned from a regular guy, a historical figure into a grand uh, conceptual being uh, animating the entire universe. So she has taken not gossiping about others and turned it into taking up the way of speaking of others with openness and possibility. I, I just, that's a, that's a lovely reframing, I think and really really makes it much more important and more challenging. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, she goes beyond the act of speaking right away in her discussion. And I'm going to admit Chris. Uh, and she says, really, we need to focus on the thoughts and uh, emotions that underlie our words. She says, this, precepts, this precept invites us to question deeply the assumptions and beliefs that find their way into our comments as we speak disparagingly of others. And she says, "I think this precept points as well to the unspoken fault-finding, uh, fault-finding conversations we have within in our thoughts." So, in a broader view, this precept invites us not only to speak, uh, not only uh, to speak of, but also to meet others with openness and possibility. And I'd ask everybody to read this, uh, this chapter along with the, the following chapter, chapter seven, which also has to do with meeting people on equal ground and with openness and possibility. They seem very similar and yet they're different. And, and so I'm focusing on this one this week. Um, as a Rosetto, uh, as an exercise, pardon me, risetto invited us to treat each encounter with someone else. Uh, a friend, a partner, a business associate, even an enemy, to treat that as a meeting with a stranger. She asks, when we speak disparagingly of others, what do we get out of it? How does it serve our self-centered dream? So again, deep interior uh, inquiry that goes along with that. And I'll come back to that later with a different spin on it, I hope, because I, I think there's an important aspect that I think that she missed in, in, in the way she was describing it. Uh, I will say the syllabus for our class or group uh, also invites or also calls for us to have a brief discussion of internal family systems therapy, um, language from which uh, has had a big influence on PEG and Flint and has become an integral part of many of the discussions at Appomattox, really, really pretty hard to get away from at Appomattox. Um, and uh, so later on, Nancy is going to share an eight-minute video from a, a therapist in Austin, a woman named Tori Olds, very engaging, as you will see. And uh, she's going to be talking about internal family systems therapy and and about the the concept of self within internal family systems therapy. And I, I'm going to break from my script here and say that, um, you know, in Zen, there's a, we read the heart Sutra a lot. What does the heart Sutra say about self? There is no real self. Uh, so the, the language of um, finding your cap, capital S or mature self or real self may sound kind of discordant with that. But I think it, I, I hope that it'll be plain what the difference and the distinction is there and why this is a useful concept. And before I get there, I want to swerve again and talk about one of my favorite koans. It's Case 21 from the Book of Serenity, sometimes called the Book of Equanimity. And this is how it's paraphrased by a teacher named Ken Howard on his website, One Time, One Meeting. A monk named Yunyan is earnestly sweeping the ground at, the, at his temple giving this mundane task his wholehearted attention. Observing him hard at work, his brother and fellow monk, Dao Wu, challenges him by remarking, too busy. To which Yunyan replies, brother, you should know that there is one who is not busy. Dao Wu considers a moment and says, if that's true, then there is a second moon. Yunyan shakes his broom and says, "Really? Then which moon is this?" So that this is a this is a koan that has led to endless discussions about various aspects of it. One who is not busy, what what are they? What's this deal with the second moon and all of that? <clears throat> I I want to uh, just make a couple of points about. Um, Yunyan and Dao Wu who show up in the Koan literature often, um, the implication of what Dao Wu says seems to be that Yunyan is doing something uh, trivial. Uh, Maybe he should be doing something more important like meditating, but here he is sweeping the floor in this busy, busy way that uh, Dao Wu notices. Uh, Some translations of the Koan have Dao Wu saying, trifling, insignificant. You're, why are you doing this uh, mere task when you should be doing something else? Uh, and if you have ever read anything about the ongoing Dharma combat between Dao and Yunyan, uh, you'll know Dao is almost always the older brother, uh, pushing and actually needling Yunyan. And I've talked about Yunyan a lot, he really appeals to me as a character from the literature. Uh, The the late teacher Tegan Dan Layton wrote, Yunyan remains an icon of paradoxical enigma, a long time failed student who became Dongshan's, later became Dongshan's teacher, and thus an important ancestor in the Soto Zen lineage. Yunyan serves as an example of how much sustained effort it may take to understand our own life and practice and he is a good reminder of the practice of patience. There are dozens of commentaries on this koan, available online and and in books, Uh, but here's one from Dogen. Dogen writes, who sweeps the ground and who sees the moon? Holding the moon, his sweeping is truly not in vain. Within tens of thousands of moons is placed this moon. Although called the second, How
2: could there be the first?
1: I'm bringing up this koan now because for me, it resonates with something that is an important point in internal family systems therapy. And I I want you to watch the video that Nancy is going to bring up in just a moment. And um, and then uh, I'm gonna offer some further reflections.
0: The deepest questions any of us can ask ourselves is, Who am I? When I hear that question, the science loving part of me says, Well, my true self is the mind that emerges when my brain is integrated. At the same time, the poetry loving part of myself says, My true self is the mind that emerges when my brain is free. Those are actually the same way of answering the question, Who am I? And I hope by the end of this video, both the science of that and the beauty of it will feel very clear to you. So I just made the statement that my true self is the mind that emerges when my brain is free. But let's backtrack because if we are going to talk about a brain that is free, we first have to acknowledge the fact that our brains or minds are very often not so free. There are many places and ways we can become stuck or constricted where our consciousness is really narrowed because our brain is only allowing us to be aware of certain things or to open certain information channels to flow. There are many ways to talk about those trapped places. I know in some other videos, I talk about schemas or self states, but for this video, I would like to use as our framework, a form of therapy called internal family systems or IFS. That is because IFS deeply studies these places where we can get stuck and narrowed and how in working with these places, And finding our way past these places, we have a chance to bump into a type of flow where our brain is more freed up, creating an inner larger space where more complexity and aliveness can unfold a place that I would like to propose we think of as our true self. Now, when Dick Schwartz who invented IFS was developing this way of working in therapy his mission was not to discover any kind of freer or truer self. In fact, he was first really solely putting his attention on these more narrow or stickier aspects of our personality, or in this case, the personality of his clients. He, like many other therapists, took to calling these stuck patterned ways of being our parts, as in a part of me is very confident, maybe even overconfident at times, like in my role as a boss at work, but then a part of me is really insecure and that part comes out at home when I'm really clinging with my partner and needing them to validate me all the time. It is in fact not uncommon to have very opposite parts like that he also discovered that underneath these parts of our personality is something more intact something more whole something more essential which he began to call the self so we are going to sort of follow his path
2: we will start with the concept of
0: and well here's a part that's not a part here's the actual self, we too will eventually answer the question of what the true self is, by first identifying what it is not. We
2: got the house!
0: We handles the driving. Pocket it.
2: So in the previous video of this
0: series, I took us through a fairly deep dive of the science of parts. So I recommend that you watch that video first. But in case you don't, I'll give just the summary now of what a part is. There are really two basic type of parts, but in the last video I'll really focus on what is called a protector part, whose main job it is, surprise, surprise, to protect us. Turns out we humans need lots of protection, but we aren't pre-wired at birth with how to do that, how to move through the world in a safe way. There's a lot to learn around how to avoid dangers, how to get our needs met, And perhaps most importantly for our survival, how to make sure we are loved and accepted by the group, and it just so happens that that learning does not take place in our conscious mind mainly but in what is called implicit memory, the most famous kind of implicit memory that most people know about is muscle memory. So in the first video I was really explaining how most of our psychology is set up as sort of these sets of self protective movements whether the reflexive movement is to be really pleasing or be really dominating or to self-attack or whatever. These psychological movements exist and what I think of as psychological muscle memory. These are learned ways of being designed to protect us that when they get triggered can really hijack our mind and body a bit, just in the same way if you're falling over, your muscles will brace like that, whether you want to or not. When these psychological movements, or you could say parts of us take over, they can override what our logical mind says and drive our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. So that even when we have the best of intentions to be self-compassionate or to stay non defensive with our partner or whatever, we find ourselves suddenly flipping back to that reflexive way of behaving or thinking or feeling or perceiving things just as suddenly as when our arms come up and it's hard to control. Additionally, there is not just one way we learn to adapt. We adapt differently to different dangers. Like maybe in one type of stressful situation we're very pleasing and submissive and then some other kind of danger comes along and bam, we are raging. And in that moment it's like we've become a different person in a way like hey i'm usually a pretty nice guy, but then sometimes i'm not and it really freaks me out and I feel crazy and ashamed. You can see in that example how we have multiple parts and when they take the lead, we can feel confused as to why we're suddenly acting like a different person. I know I just gave an interpersonal example, but it also could be how we relate to ourself and what parts of our inner world we're threatened by, whether an emotion or a need, and therefore maybe we learn to intellectualize around all the time. Some parts like our intellectualizing part might be running most all the time. Others might be called or triggered into action That's what people mean when they say they they were triggered, and that process of having these parts take over command, it can be very frustrating and disempowering. In IFS, they call that moment when parts are in the lead being blended with the part, and the first thing you learn to do in IFS is to unblend. The fact that it is possible to unblend is really good news. We truly can step back from our parts, but that first requires that we are aware of them, so we can get a little observing distance. The moment we can slow down, become a bit more intentional, and pivot into curiosity about what part has taken over, and a real desire not to fight with it, but to understand it. In that moment we have unblended. It's movement from being the part to observing the part. I mean, sometimes there is more than one part that we need to unblend from and it's a bit like peeling back the layers of an onion like okay well at first i'm speaking from this part that reflexively blames my husband. But when I step back and i'm freed up from that headspace man i'm suddenly aware of another part that's mad at me for blaming my husband and calling me names about it, etc, and that is not so helpful either, so then I have to unblend from that. We will talk more about the unblending process in the next video, but the point here is more about what Dick Schwartz learned in developing the unblending process. He found that after a few layers when he would ask them the, the person he's working with Okay, so what part do you find next and again and again the client would say without prompting. Well, what I'm with now it isn't a part it's just myself. And Schwartz began calling that self, that part that isn't a part. He began to call it the big S self, like a self with a capital S. We also might call our true self or our deepest self or higher self. Some therapies call it the adult self or wise mind. But whatever you call it, the underlying point here is that it is always there and it is always amazing. It is always there and it is always amazing. This is really profound, so I want to slow down here. When we step back from our habitual mindsets, or unblend from our parts, a deeper part of us, which isn't actually a part, it's our self, just naturally comes forward. And that's an amazing moment. You see, while each of ourselves may be unique in some ways, there are some qualities or capacities that we've discovered the big S self possesses universally. And those were sort of cataloged and summarized as the eight C's. There's nothing sacred about this list, but it does capture what the true self is all about. So here it is. And listen to this list because whether you believe it or not, your deeper self is compassionate, connected, calm, creative, clear, curious, confident, and courageous. You can begin to see that there is a spiritual feel to this. And I know a lot of people are taking IFS as part of their spiritual growth work, bringing it to their Christian journey or their Buddhism. It somehow manages to access this brain state or this mental state that one would think would require 30 years of meditation to achieve. And yet what we are finding is, there it is, compassionate, connected, calm, creative, clear, curious, confident, and courageous. I have seen this again and again in my work. This is not a trick. This is not just me being inspirational with something that sounds good. At our core, we all have tremendous goodness and capacity. That's just the nature of the human mind. We are innately curious. We're innately compassionate. We are innately creative. The reason we don't always have access to those qualities is because we've overridden our natural state with conditioned ways of being. We've basically been trained not to live from our true self. Our child self had to figure out other ways of being that maybe didn't include being curious or connected or whatever. And if we learn that shutting down our curiosity or compassion or whatever was necessary to protect ourselves, we will keep doing it. Like a job almost. It's a job of our protector parts to make sure we keep doing that thing. It's like a soldier doesn't leave its post, but we want our inner soldiers to finally be able to leave their post. Not because they're bad, In fact, really often they saved our lives at some point, and really should be treated like these little heroes. But when they come online, they do narrow us. Remember, in the last video, we talked about how parts are associated with a particular neural firing pattern, because they're based on memory, and that's how memory works. It's an encoding of a pattern. When that happens, I must do that. They call that a neural net. But do you see how that's kind of simple? When it's running, we only have the information that is inside that net. It does not bring to bear everything the brain knows. So when we are blended with a part, we aren't using our full cognitive and emotional intelligence. Using our full intelligence looks like using everything we've learned, not just what that one part learned, but everything we've learned. It would look like taking in all the information from the outside, not just focusing on what that part tells us is important, or we need to focus on, or only seeing through its sort of biased perspective, but looking at things in a way that's fresh, you know, allowing our whole, our whole brain to come online, to fully process the information. That means using our full logical, rational, you know, intelligence as well as our emotions and intuitions so that we can be creative and flexible and deep. The science word for that is neural integration. But that is a brain that is working like full throttle. It's a brain that is integrated. And in that moment of integration, it is also a brain that is free, free to be its true self. Picture a wild stallion trapped in a barn and then you open the gates and finally it can run at full speed. That's the freedom we're talking about. And in the same way the stallion will use all four of its legs and its back and its neck and its lungs and eyes, when our brain can use everything it knows and all ways of knowing from thoughts to feelings because nothing is off limits, and all that information streams in an integrated way to create a much more complex understanding and response, There is a power to that. Remember earlier I said that our true capacity emerges when we are both integrated, allowed to bring everything we have to bear and free, and that those are really the same thing. And I think that integrated brain and all the potential of that, it's only fair to think of that as our true self. It's kind of like, if you wanna know what that stallion is truly all about, you've gotta let it out of the barn. When we are hemmed in by a part, we aren't integrated. All that information isn't flowing. We are just stuck with what that part knows or is, which is like a smaller psychological space. So it's when we can unblend from our parts that we finally can be free. Before we end this video, I just want to make one final point. The mission to uncover our true self could sound frivolous, like, oh, I'm such a snowflake and I just want to be the real me. (laughs) But the truth is, there is nothing frivolous about this work. It is actually essential for our survival as a human race. Yes, in our sort of distant past, it might've made sense for us humans to rely on parts. That means using less glucose, sending less glucose to our brain, and food was scarce and that kind of thing, and it was enough to rely on memory. In other words, finding our highest potential wasn't the top priority for survival a million years ago, but now it is. You see, the problems we are facing today are so complex. To face today's challenges, we must have our full brains online. In other words we must all find a way to access our full potential our actual true self or big s self in my mind that's what it means to be an adult but we don't need child parts pretending to be or trying to be adults what the world needs are deeply wise loving adults who can see the world as complex rather than black and white and who can face it with some equanimity creativity and gentle strength in other words We need to access our true selves. So in the next video, we will more deeply explore how to unblend from our protector parts so that our true self can emerge. So I hope you'll join me. Um,
2: Okay.
1: well, thank you for watching that. And I hope that, that there is a resonance between Yunyan talking about the one who is not busy, this greater capacity, this, this knowledge, this calm knowledge within himself that he was speaking of, and this, uh, this uh, self as described in IFS therapy uh, that, that is competent and connected and calm and creative and clear and curious and confident and courageous and also loving, and patient, and open-hearted. You know, there, there, there are many different ways of, of describing qualities of mind and qualities of, of relating that uh, are inherent within all of us. And uh, again, in Zen, there's a lot of focus on, um, um, various things. Let's see, I, I flipped to the wrong page here. Uh, there's, there, there's a lot of focus on learning the difference between uh, absolute reality and relative reality. The relative and the absolute It's such a, such a major point that's made, it's very important in Chinese philosophy from a thousand years ago and, and continues to be a, a very fertile uh, and, and important way of of thinking about our relationship with the world, but but that our main task is as Dan Layton says about union, it is to understand our life. And that takes patience and it takes time. And it's not something that happens in a flash. In the koans, people have realizations and their lives are changed. I've never known anybody that's had anything like that experience. Rather, there are people who gradually over time through the exercise of the Paramitas and Brahmaviharas and, the, and through finding the space that is their true selves, their, their big S selves, and, and that connection with the greater reality that we are all part of, that that is what's transforming. And it takes patience and it takes time. Um, and again, there's been a lot of, you know, in medieval China, there was a lot of debate about whether this could happen fast or if it had to happen gradually. <clears throat> uh, Yunyan was one of the people who seemed to point out or seemed to argue that the obstacle is inseparable from the path, that sweeping can be just as important as meditating and as that as Dogen says, within 10,000 moons is placed this moon. So uh, again, I wanted to, to try and connect the language of IFS, which I think is very evocative for me, uh, and and to connect that with this notion that there's one within us who is not busy, who has these qualities, and that is available to us all the time. Um, Please raise your physical hand if, or not vigorously, if you've ever had the experience during meditation or in daily life of realizing that your judgments and self-justifications and planning and other thoughts are simply being held in a bigger space. I've ha- I've had that feeling very strongly. and thank you. Uh, and uh, there's a wonderful book, um, which I do not have on the shelf, and I'll, I'll send out the name of it before. Laurie led uh, a series of classes uh, based on this book. by It's by David Loy, um, and it's about um, being able to access just techniques of being able to access this broader space, um, this uh, more open uh, and accepting and nurturing space within yourself with just a kind of a a few mental steps. Um, uh, I connect with what, uh, I I connect what Tori Olds was describing uh, and uh, with her, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for her emphasis, not on the, at least in this video, not on the struggles between parts or within the parts are, you know, that have to be protectors and that have to be defended and, and, and exiles and, and the, the kind of energy work that goes into and that, that occupies so much of our mental time but that she focuses uh, within the language of IFS on the one who is not busy, this capital S self and and grateful that she directs our attention to that cascade of of eight C's that she describes and how we can get our bearings, how by when we know we are feeling calm or creative or so on, we are in that state. Um, And that's an important thing for integrating our humanity and for learning how to live in this world. And that and Zen is one of the pathways of doing that, a, you know, in, in a very highly integrative one. Um, so we can turn to those parts and be confident that we can contact them. Uh, and we can blend with our, with, with our parts and be in the big S cell. And uh, there's a famous poem by Rumi called The Guest House. I'm sure most of you haven't memorized. Uh, I see Susan shaking her head, it's such a beautiful poem and I'm gonna read it now, we've got time. It says, this is as translated by Coleman Barks. This being human is a guest house. Every morning is a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So again, a beautiful po- poetic expression that these parts within us are not our enemies; they have actually been sent as guides from beyond. Something that's mentioned, that's also poetically stated in the uh, the Bodhisattva's Vow that uh, we've been reading every day at Upamada. Every, uh, you know, if we are dealing with fools, we need to be loving and kind to them. And if we have enemies that have sworn to destroy us, we should greet them as, with grateful language as emissaries of the awakened one. A tall order, but a beautiful poetic expression of possibility and, and possibilities, not, for, not just for meeting the outside world, but for turning within ourselves as well. So I want to go back to the writing prompt. This is the last part of our meeting for me, and I want to have some time. Um, Nancy, would you be able to break to to pe- put people into breakout rooms of three or four? Yes. Okay. Good. So it's uh, for the next uh, fifteen minutes or so. I want to ask you to go into uh, breakout rooms, and here's the the prompt. And I'm, what I'm doing is turning the the prompt that Diane Rossetto uh, offered pretty much on its head. And I want you to, to see if you can put yourself in the frame of, of union. You've been sweeping, somebody comes and pokes at you and, and you realize that there's one who's not busy. You have a bigger, you have a, a capital S self that can hold disturbances and, and upsets within a bigger framework. You have that with you and it is yours. It is is as much your inheritance as it belongs to the mountains and the trees all around you. So uh, imagine if you would, uh, that you're union, you're in that state and focus on turning toward a part of you that resists letting go of your past. So here's Diane Rosetto saying, Make every meeting a new meeting. Don't worry about your past. Now, what if, you have, what if you have significant trauma in your past? What if somebody really hurt you? Can you really just let that go? I, I, I question that. And I think that out of kindness to yourself, you owe, you owe it to yourself. It is an obligation to yourself first to turn to those parts in kindness and warmth and to let them speak. So that's my invitation for the, for the time that will be um, uh, in the breakout rooms. Just turn to those parts and hold, hold them, the ones that are expressing res- reservations or, or resistance, hold them in your capital S big self. Don't expect anything to change. Don't expect anything to be different no sudden realizations, but just exercise this capacity of holding and, and loving presence as, as, as we were talking about in our last meeting, okay? And then at the end of the time, uh, let's say 15 minutes from now, Nancy, at the end of that time, just come back. would be willing, you know, if you wanna discuss it in your small groups, that'd be fine. But I'd love it if we, if after we come back, you could uh, share some thoughts about the experience, too. Okay. Well, uh, let me, we've got just a, a few minutes. Um, and I, I want to open this up to everybody. Let me just quickly say that our next meeting will be on Sunday, the 7th of May. It will be the 4th meeting the the topics are meeting others on equal ground power relationships and responsibility and we will also have um uh, either video or another presentation on the work called the right use of power
2: so um that's
1: our next meeting, and so let me uh, let me uh, ask: Is there anything that anybody would like to share out of the small group exercise? Um, there was a, some significant things that I shared with the other people in my group, or that I'm sorry that, that were shared by other people in my group. That I really, uh, that was very good for me. Gabriela, I'm sorry, are you raising your hand?
2: No, it's okay. If, it, if there's time, just wanna say, uh, it was very lovely practice. It was very lovely for all of us. Powerful. Thank,
1: Thank you. you. Thank you for saying that. I had that experience too. Mm-hmm. And I'm deeply grateful to everybody here for for taking part in this class and for what you bring to it and and how i how, and, and for how i get to come forward as well it's a wonderful experience for me well thank you let's close for today i'll be in austin and if we can cross paths wonderful thank you thank you joel
2: thank you joel thank you it's joel take care